0: Welcome back to CS Book Club. We're reading Chapter 3, The Simplest Computers, covering deterministic finite automata, non-deterministic finite automata, regular expressions, and equivalence. I'm Justin Campbell. With me is Ashton. Hey, guys. Amy. Hey. And Brian. Hello. I learned a lot in this chapter.
1: Oh, yeah? Like what?
0: <laughs> you know about deterministic <laughs> finite automata. Um. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess one thing I'm going to research before we recorded was... is so a DFA, that's equivalent to a state machine, right?
2: Yeah, I also had some trouble trying to figure out what a DFA kind of corresponds to in my realm of experience. Um, so I definitely got that feeling, especially towards the end of the chapter, uh, that a DFA is really similar to a state machine. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead, Ashley. So
3: No, I was just going to say they do define it as a finite state machine. Okay, cool.
2: Yeah, so in my quest to actually understand what my exposure to these things might be, I actually looked up what some real-life examples of DFAs are. It's kind of funny all the different things they can get into. So the, the list I found is protocol analysis, text parsing, which we're seeing, video game character behavior, huh. which I thought was cool, <laughs> security analysis, CPU control units, natural language processing, and speech recognition. But then they go on to say that a lot of mechanical devices that we interact with can be designed and implemented as DFA's, which really kind of helped me think about those diagrams. Because if I think about someone who is setting about designing a machine, like drawing little diagrams, it makes a lot more sense to me. Um, and so some examples are elevators, vending machines, and traffic-sensitive traffic lights. Which I feel like, yeah, once you think about those, those machines, it's really help. You see how drawing those little diagrams could be really helpful.
0: Yeah, thinking of like a microwave or toaster, like it's either on, timer set, or it's off, and then certain input can either turn it off or stop it.
2: Yeah, it was definitely helpful to think about because they go into all the things that DFA is that finite automata don't have. So you start thinking about, well, like, what does it have? Like 64, top of page 64. Like finite automata don't have a keyboard, a mouse, or network interface for receiving input, which is kind of like a showstopper in my mind. Like, okay, so what does this thing have? Uh, So thinking about those examples was really helpful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I uh one thing I found interesting was the, the example we used, we never parsed more than, you know, two or three letters, like in B, maybe C, I think at one point. Um but that kind of helped me keep it simple enough to keep it all in my mind. It seemed really silly when I was first doing it and then as as we got farther in the chapter I was like, Oh, if I had to parse like ten letters, this would get out of control.
2: Yeah. When they define determinis- determinism and they say that there are no omissions omissions, sorry, I have a note right next to that being like Oh my gosh, so does that mean that I need to account for every single letter on the keyboard? And yes, it does. And it's helpful to think about a keyboard that just has A and B, (laughs) because otherwise you get overwhelmed real quick.
0: Yeah, the one part says it only works if all the determinants are are respected.
1: I was just saying that it seems like state machines kind of turn up. It's it's like one of those things where once you kind of see a state machine applied, I mean... Like a state machine itself, it's, it's a nice little diagram. Then you go through an example, like the one in the first section here. And I don't know, for me, I, I, suddenly everything was a state machine. I guess like for every, you know, when all you have is a state machine, every problem looks like a <laughs> series of A's and B's. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it, I felt like the code that I read and wrote shortly after reading this chapter, um, I could sort of see like, oh, maybe I can introduce a state machine here.
0: So I was gonna mention this at the end, but I might as well now. Um I felt like I don't know if anybody else did, um, the code we wrote, the sample code from the chapter, um, it was very object oriented.
1: Yeah. Uh, but I
0: felt I, the same. But I felt like I could represent this in much fewer lines if I just use a like a sing like a maybe like a single variable of like the current state and then like a pattern match of a bunch of rules, if I just hard code them into a a function or a method somewhere. It seemed like everything was pulled apart really, really far, which helped, helped me understand each each individual part. But I wonder if if I tried to write this again, uh, the DFA, that I could write it fewer lines if I kind of already understood all the parts.
3: He yeah. did make a note of that saying, you know, that it, everything was broken out into new objects so that everything would be unique. Um, I'd like to find the, chap, the section where he goes into more detail about uh, his reasoning behind that.
2: Yeah, I think it made it really clear the link between the diagram and the code that you were writing which was helpful but it definitely did feel at times that we were writing the diagram not the code that was needed to get the job done.
0: Did you make like a, a rule and then a DFA, DFA design one the rule book?
2: <laughs> yeah kind of that I could I could see how each of those things were connected to these little diagrams, especially as we started getting into the, like, concatenation sort of stuff. Um, And I could see how the diagrams were, like, to the code, but the code wasn't necessarily the code I would write once I had internalized the concepts.
1: And were you thinking of a pattern-matching style like Justin?
2: (laughs) I ended up wanting to write more functionally. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, d- I didn't have as concrete thoughts as Justin. Um, I just did not like passing. Not. I did not like the multitude of classes that I had to remember what the heck they were. Right. right? A DFA design, I don't know quite what that is until I think back to the diagram. Um, and I have a little bit of a better sense of what we're trying to do but that being said i mean it was super useful to write that code and to understand
0: yeah i struggled a lot with the with the the terminology design because i felt like it was really just like a helper delegator it doesn't really mean anything but it was just wrapping up the code we already wrote to make it easier to work with
1: i do kind of like though having a, a name for the aggregate of a thing like the nfa or the you know design classes um weren't in and of themselves. Yeah, they have like two methods each, but it's it's nice I think to have a name for that aggregate concept of like here are all the states and all the rules and where you start. Um I always find it frustrating in like a domain when there's not there's not a clear name for that other than just pluralizing an existing noun, like if it was if we created like an accept states class. I think that would be a lot less satisfying than than a design a class that kind of gives it a, a name of its own. Mm.
0: Yeah, don't think about it. Like that. So then we got into non-deterministic finite automata, which uh, the chapter starts by saying that the uh, the DFA is more simple to understand because they're similar to what we're already familiar with, like like you were giving all the examples of those different machines. Like we could think about like how they mapped. it. Um, at the beginning of this chapter, I was kind of like like how how is it possible that non-deterministic non-determin-
1: versions could exist? It seems kind of mind blowing.
0: Yeah. But then as the chapter went on, it became clearer of, you know, what that meant. I guess I had a little ambiguity of what non-deterministic meant.
2: Yeah, I definitely share that. Having uh, having understood now the concept of what a non-deterministic finite automata is, if I were to describe it to someone, the words non-deterministic would never actually <laughs> enter into the discussion.
1: Yeah, seriously.
2: You know, it's it's a rule book, and it's a DFA with options, right? Uh, And I think that part, just the ability to have options makes a lot of sense. That's something that we can easily relate to. Do
1: you think it's fair to say that it's deterministic, but not precise? Like, after it's deterministic in the sense that you can follow it, like it's not just completely arbitrary, but when you're after a given number of moves, you don't necessarily know exactly where you are, but it's not this unlimited possibility.
2: Yeah, I definitely think that's fair. I also think um from, you know, going to the end of the book or the chapter, sorry, where we do transform the NFAs into DFAs. The way I think about it now is more like uh it's a DFA for the state of multiple DFAs or yeah, multiple DFAs, so like you're just keeping track of multiple paths that someone could walk down right. uh, you know and i'm anthropomorphizing it a lot like i'm like you know this one little to. yeah it really is it's like how many different paths can you walk down in your life and each person is unique right but that, <laughs> sometimes I don't know. we
1: find ourselves in the same state as as other people oh man <sighs> not like geographically <laughs>
3: You were mentioning later in the book how you uh you know, you took a non deterministic finite automata and turned it into a deterministic one and I guess that's getting into equivalence. But I was kind of struggling with, you know, maybe what the benefits with one approach versus the other really were. Just definitely knowing, you know, exactly what state you're in versus not and, you know, kind of some of the issues that could be associated with that.
0: Yeah. At the end of the chapter, um, or close to the end when they are converting the NFAs back into DFAs, um, I like the example of, you know, the, the state we're in is either this one or this one. And that is in and of itself kind of state. Uh, and then, then he says that, uh, we, he asked the question, like, do NFAs give us any, any capabilities that DFAs don't have? And the answer is no. Like, they're not useful, mm-hmm. any more useful than, than a DFA. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're more useful uh, thinking about a problem, but actually implementing it. And I like the, what was that algorithm called?
3: Uh, when you reverse it and reverse it again.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's there's an algorithm to take any NFA and, and
1: uh, turn it into a Are you a thinking DFA? of, uh, yeah, there's no way I can pronounce the name. Brzozowski's algorithm. Yeah. Uh, So that was really neat.
2: Yeah, we have a guy at work who has only recently been exposed to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So when we started getting into the um, change from NFAs to DFAs... um, All I could think of is the uh, discussions we've been having about, like, the Earth being the answer or providing the question to the answer to life, right? And that, Mm -hmm. you know, the answer only comes from knowing the state of, like, well, I can't remember what year the Earth was supposedly terminated, but, you know... Mm -hmm million billions of people and where they end up at the one determined moment. Um and at that that state in and of itself is kind of an answer.
3: Uh, and it's always
0: forty two. Yes. <laughs> I have not read that. It's good. Um rewinding a little bit, when when we're introduced to NFAs, uh before before we get to that point of figuring out like how we're going to represent them, he talks about how we could how we might represent them. One of the ways was trying a possibility all the way to the end and then rewinding the input and then trying some other path. Uh, And another one was threading. So I guess copying a a DFA for every, or an NFA, but making a a new state machine whenever there's multiple paths that can be taken Uh, and keeping track of all of them. The way I kind of pictured in my head before we we found the the answer was um, like a tree. But I guess that's almost the same as threading. But I was I was imagining before we got to this that we might create some sort of tree structure of the start point, and then it would branch out into all the possibilities that it could be whenever input was read. Um,
2: yeah, I think that's a really interesting way that in my mind almost merges the idea of spawning new threads and keeping track of its current state, because that tree would essentially represent every single thread that would be out there. Like yeah, the, the, the leaf nodes would represent the state of each possible thread if i'm understanding what you're saying correctly yeah yeah i definitely uh thought we'd be doing the brute force approach <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was kind of enlightening that to keep track of of um of the state of nfa we just uh, keep track of all of its past states
1: and that's it that was kind of neat
2: yeah i definitely did not see that at all and that was it was really cool to read that
1: I think introducing free moves is is, is pretty sneaky, but very <laughs> clever. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I thought this was this, the, going building the NFAs was a good like kind of really uh, I guess annotated annotated problem solving through a non trivial problem. Like setting aside all the computer science concepts, um, it was just a good like incremental approach to figuring out how to build the diagram. Yeah. So does that take us to regular expressions?
0: Yeah, and the whole time that we were, I was reading this, I was, I don't know if I had heard uh, the term DFA or NFA associated with regular expressions before, but I kept thinking regular expressions in my head as I was the possible cases for these. Uh, so when we got, we got to regular expression, I was like, wow, regular expressions. So <laughs> because they seem really complicated.
1: Right. Well, and, and it sounds like if you build stuff like backtracking or you know capture groups, then it does get really, really complicated.
0: I imagine, yeah. Um, but even like I was I was impressed by the amount of functionality wrote in such a little code.
2: Yeah, that was definitely cool to see.
0: 'Cause before before reading this, uh regular expression just seemed kind of like black magic to me. Like there's hundreds of thousands of lines of C code somewhere that are doing this for me and I have no idea how it works. But this
1: gave me a little glimpse of like, oh, I might be able to write that. <laughs> it's kind of empowering. Yeah. And I have to say my favorite part is just that you can uh define your inspection method so that like they print out regular as a regular expression. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's so cool. I
0: don't know why. Yeah, that was pretty neat. I guess I bring this to equivalence. Um unless there's anything else you want to talk about regular expressions.
1: Um This was a dense section for me. Yeah. It's definitely more um you had to kind of stick with it a little bit longer than the previous ones.
0: Yeah. Yeah and seeing all the uh there's tons of diagrams and yep. there's so many of them my eyes just started glazing over like
2: Yeah. I Got confused on the, um, the second set of diagrams where they introduced the cloud element. Uh, any good diagram needs a cloud, right? Um, yep. took me a while to figure out that just means like placeholder for more awesome NFA stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, these were definitely more complicated than things we've seen. I feel like we've seen in the rest of the chapter and uh, I struggled to kind of understand some of the edge cases um in the uh the repeat section. um I was staring at that for a while, wondering why the start case had to be new, right? Like you can't just send an accept state back to the start with a free move um and um I finally saw the footnote that says. Well, if you get more complicated in certain ways, it won't lead to accepts. But I still can't actually figure that out. Like, how does that work? How do multiple nested repeats lead to, uh, lead to problems?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't have an answer. So I wish I did.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those mysteries. I think it's one of those nice. Nice things about this book, which is that it exposes us to a lot of stuff, but also, you know, it can't show us everything. So I think I definitely felt like we were kind of pushing the edge of actually understanding completely what we were doing here just because there wasn't room to explain the edge cases really or get into them and really grok it.
3: I mean, I, I personally like the equivalent section just because it kind of felt like it summarized and, you know, um, compared all the other options that we were discussing. Like, it talks about how non-determinism and free moves are just like the syntactic sugar on top of a DFA and it's not adding any new capabilities or functionality. It's just providing you a little more flexible way to, you know, write or uh, abstract those types of things.
1: That is very cool. It's like, Lang- that's like NFAs are a language on top of TFAs. Yep. And equivalence was neat that like the way you
0: check equivalence is by uh minimizing each of them and see if they look the same. Because in theory or I guess provably, um any two uh automatons that accept the same input. I guess they have to accept the same N and deny the same input across a, a wider range of uh, input values, but if they accept and reject the same same values, then they can be reduced to the same shape.
1: Very cool. So I guess we're just going to add some power next, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't peeked ahead yet. I know he's a few chats ahead.
2: Yeah, I've really started liking a lot more of the exercises and, and just the concepts we're touching as we get uh, further on. I think part of it is it's easier to really understand the significance of what you're doing uh as things get a little bit high level higher level um and ruby feels like a something of a better tool like not that there aren't the same issues but you know if i were trying to write vending machine code you know ruby's not my choice um but as i as we start pushing up higher into more interesting things well interesting is the wrong word but things that i feel like i have more exposure to uh it's nice to be able to uh i don't know it's nice to be able to program them so i'm more appreciative of ruby
0: that makes me excited to push forward cool well uh you can find more episodes on csbookclub.com and we're also on twitter at cs_bookclub. underscore and talk to you next time Bye. See you guys.